This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 180, about Iron Fist 206, The Dragon Dies at Dawn. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 180 about Iron Fist, season 2, episode 6, The Dragon Dies at Dawn. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Hi, and I am John, triangulating out the group. Yes, fellow Defenders, welcome to episode 180, the very special podcast, because, surprise, surprise, we're all going to do a 180 and tell you that actually, secretly, we hate everything to do with Marvel. (laughs) It's actually a DC podcast in disguise. (laughs) See, when I was reading out the episode number, I was all I was thinking of was darts, of getting a 180 <laughs> in the bullseye. In- and this episode, being our 180th episode, should have featured the Daredevil villain bullseye, shouldn't it? You should have absolutely have introduced this as 180. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. would have worked. It would have worked. But anyway, let's get on with our discussion about the episode. Nobody wants to hear about darts on this podcast. This is not the darts podcast. This is the Iron Fist season two podcast on Defenders TV podcast. And if you haven't subscribed yet to get all of our episodes, make sure you go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And we're still waiting for your feedback because the episodes of Iron Fist, as we record are all released to Netflix today. So if you want to send us any of your thoughts, just make sure you email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Or, of course, you can join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. That's all that out of the way, isn't it? I think so. That I think is. Just voicemail. You can also send in voicemail. If you want to be on the podcast in audio form, head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the Leave Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the screen. And you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts or comments or discussion points for us to play back on the podcast. So mm-hmm. try it out. It's pretty cool when uh, people use that function. Yeah, definitely. Yes, but gentlemen, I think it's about time because we are... Six episodes into a 10-episode series. We have hit the halfway mark. We have gone beyond it, if you will. So I think it's about time we jump in and tell them what they gave us in this episode. Derek, do you want to tell us everything about the episode details? Absolutely, yep. This episode title of The Dragon Dies at Dawn comes from another issue of Iron Fist, issue number nine of the series of Iron Fist, uh, where he had a big encounter with the Golden Tigers, who are featured quite heavily this season. So quite cool that they're another set of comic book characters, the Golden Tigers. Uh, All the images that we're using for the show as well uh, come from shopfront windows, which were posted by the Iron Fist account over on Twitter, uh, representing each name of every episode. And you'll see the symbol for the Golden Tigers in uh, in loads of those as well. So so quite cool that they're major comic book baddies and villains for Iron Fist, and they brought them into the show. Yeah, it's a good job they didn't, like, do the one euro shop or... Poundland or something like that. I don't know. A couple of those, uh, a couple <laughs> of those shops do look like they could be Poundland of Chinatown. Absolutely, I would say these are million-dollar shop fronts uh, so far this season for Iron Fist. Well, the episodes have yes, been definitely, but exactly. I don't know whether I'd be shopping in a place called the Dragon Dies at Dawn. <laughs> I don't know what what you get in there. Magical weapons or something, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or immortal weapons, perhaps. You never know. The Dragon's Heart. 
Possibly, possibly. But this episode was written by Matthew Weiss. This is only his third writing credit. Uh, he worked on two other Netflix shows, Marco Polo and Happy. So obviously in this stable of writers over in Netflix and got a chance to work on Iron Fist. Did a pretty good job, actually. If I'm not, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything for, for my thoughts about the episode, but did a very good job of this episode. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of Happy. Um, and you can see some of the style, if you will. Um, he, he certainly has a style. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, and by the way, Happy was released internationally on Netflix. It wasn't uh, written and produced on Netflix. Oh, okay. So they bought the rights internationally for it. Yes. Right, right. So it's another one of their, their Netflix originals, kind of. Okay. <laughs> Netflix original-ish. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, yeah, definitely enjoyed um, the writing in mm-hmm. this episode. I thought it was uh, really, really good. Uh, some nice moments between different characters because it was quite chatty. Uh, a lot of co- yeah. deep conversations between uh, a number of the characters. So, yeah, spot on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this episode was directed by Philip John, a Welsh director this time. Another person worked on Downton Abbey. There's definitely something with Marvel and Downton Abbey uh, writers and directors they love to bring them over uh, he also did outlander another very famous show a very popular show but probably his biggest claim to fame is that he got two bafta nominations for directing episodes of being human the uk version of that show which i absolutely loved so i'm, I'm guessing if it was two bafta nominated episodes it was in the earlier seasons of the show not before the last season which nobody really watched unfortunately yeah well, <laughs> yeah unfortunately um yeah great show being human uh, and also outlander uh, great that he got two BAFTA nominations there. Um, so really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Being Human was awesome. So uh, good on him for getting mm-hmm. the BAFTA nominations. Absolutely, absolutely. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Back at the dojo, Misty Knight interrogates Joy Meacham and Mary Walker separately and convinces Colleen that arresting them would be more problematic for tracking down Davos. She also discovers that three Tabori tattooists, known as the Crane Sisters, were behind the ritual on Danny and could be the key to regaining his chi. With Danny resting up under the watchful eye of Ward, Misty and Colleen, jacked up on snacks, go on the hunt for the Crane Sisters. Meanwhile, as Mary and Joy are under house arrest in the bedroom, Joy, desperate to rid herself of Davos and his virtue, offers a contract to Mary to track and take out Davos. Mary accepts and allows Danny to join her, who eventually persuades her to bring him in alive so they can transfer the chi of the Iron Fist back to Danny Rand. With everyone gone from the dojo, Ward and Joy attempt to clear the air and thrash out their problems, but to no success. Whereas Colleen and Misty successfully thrash the Crane Sisters with a dynamic tag team fight. As they find out more about the ritual, Misty offers them prison or assisting with the ritual once again, this time on Danny Rand. The Crane Sisters choose wisely. Elsewhere, Davos returns from his bloody day of dishing out justice to be ambushed by Murray and Danny. In the fight, Danny's leg is broken and Davos powers up two iron fists, but is finally sedated. However, as an ambulance comes to take Danny to hospital, Walker has a trigger event and turns to Murray, who flees from the scene. As Danny is taken off to hospital, Davos remains sedated but free in New York City. 
I definitely think three Tibori tattooists needs to join that Christmas song, Five, five Gold Rings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was very impressive, John. A very difficult thing to say. I had to take that a little slower. And you write them yourself as well, so you don't give yourself any relaxation when you do your own synopsis, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Good job, good job. There are lots, lots going on in this episode, but as you said uh, earlier on, lots of conversations happening here between the cast of characters getting to know each other and working together and... and being quite adversarial with each other as well which kind of brings us on to point number one misty has a chat with joy and walker uh, i love this opening for this episode it really reminded me of something when i when i saw the close-in camera on misty knight's face as she's speaking to joy about kids in the society in new york not having as privileged an upbringing as her and just having their life ruined because they never got the silver spoon in their mouth like she did. It feels really powerful coming from Misty, and it feels really threatening coming from her as well, even though she doesn't really threaten Joy until she says, can I leave now? (laughs) And then, you know, we get the usual Misty, let's see how far you get. Yeah, it's really, really good, actually. Like, we kind of get this twice from Misty, both in this interrogation, but also at the Crane Sisters, where, you know, she is trying to kind of do it informally and really kind of go... Your ass will be whooped if you try anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just play along with me uh, and things will work out fine. Uh, and I really, really enjoy that approach from Misty. I think as well, just that full on um, opening close up of Misty was fabulous. And because you really focus on the words that she says and and the same with Joy uh, and, and just the way she, you know, fights Joy's kind of I know my rights, I need, I've not had my lawyer, and she's just like, we're two people having a chat in a mutual friend's apartment. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Really, really good. Yeah. And then it gets a little more sinister with, with Mary there. I, I love the moment that Mary kind of does that clamp down of her teeth, um, and she says, you know, I've got this scar to show you. Um, don't worry, I don't bite. Uh, it's just... A nice little bit of uh, threatening behavior from Mary, just to remind uh, Misty that who knows what could happen with this live wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and certainly you were wondering, well, is she just suddenly going to free herself from the handcuffs? And actually, we see later that she probably could have done that at any moment of course. Uh, during that interview with misty or or at any point so yeah really really great little uh moment of misty uh having this chat with these two characters Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. this is one of my favorite openings of any episode of any series in a long time Mm -hmm. just that the framing of it um and every time you cut back to misty you're not quite sure who she's she could be talking to either of them yeah yeah and it's so fluid the conversation yeah that they're actually are talking about separate things but the same comment from misty follows on from both of the conversations exactly exactly uh, they wove they interwove the two conversations very well and of course there yeah. is a point when joy says you should ask walker that and then we see the response from walker which is just really it's really well done and really well cut together i'm wondering if it's just it reminds me of the scene in um Pulp Fiction with Bruce Willis being talked at by Ving Rhames, um, where you hear what Ving Rhames is saying to him and get the reaction on Bruce Willis's face uh, when he's telling him to take a dive in the fight. It feels like something like that. It feels like that kind of level of quality that's being used in, in this opening of the episode. Just really, really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, same as you. I, I really enjoyed it. I also just enjoyed the, as John said, Walker's ability to escape at any point in time. Mm-hmm. It just goes on to show how strategic and surgical she is. Yeah. Um, she could have most likely taken out, no, maybe not taken out Misty, but at least got a good punch in there and jumped out the window. Yeah, I think that I like uh, that kind of line from Misty where it's, I'd like to see you try, you know. It's, it's, yeah. don't, don't test me today, you know, I'm having a bad day. Yeah, but I, I definitely think that, you know, Walker here, Mary Walker, she is massively in control. Mm-hmm. Dare I say it, you know, it's a little blurry as to whether she's the bad form of Mary or Walker. Do you know what I mean? Like, just because I, I think she did or seemed to do in this episode some trustworthy or honourable stuff in relation to Danny and how they interacted Hmm. um, until she turned. Um, And I think she's also quite clinical in the sense that it's nothing personal. And, okay, I understand if you're in her crosshairs, well, then you better get out of the way as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. But she is completely finished with that contract. And so she's like, you're not my job anymore. So she, she is kind of working with him. It's kind of interesting, I think. Mm. I, I know there's this probably takes us on to other areas uh, of this episode and, and our points, but I don't know. There There is something at the end of this episode where I felt, okay, I actually don't know which of the two identities I am actually rooting for here. Well, absolutely. I think I mentioned it earlier on in the season. This is the thing about Mary, because we met really nice Mary in episode one, who was still stalking Danny and, you know, maybe unconsciously at the beginning of the series. But um, but because we met that friendly version, we think that's the real Mary. But in fact, what we find out here is that from the dragon knife scar that she's showing to Misty, that she's former special ops. We did see that she was in the army because we saw the discharge papers because of her DID. But it says that she's former special ops because she carried around this dragon knife and was stabbed with a dragon knife. Might not have been her own, but so it does feel like the functioning part of Mary is this version that we're seeing here. Yeah. So that's the real one, not the nice, kind, sweet one that we see at the end of the episode and we saw at the, at the start of the season. But again, that's to be teased out as we get through Definitely. the episodes. I still think at the end of this episode, I'm not 100% convinced which one's the real Mary. No, absolutely. But it isn't that just awesome it it really keeps you on sand effectively Mm -hmm. in terms of maybe where you want to root for this character or how you view this character as the season or even the episode progresses Mm -hmm. um so absolutely superb how that was done i think uh for me just one final point uh, from my side is is that you know we do get to hear that this ancient ritual was the power of the dragon being transferred from one to another through the art of tabori yes. hence why i have the three tabori tattooists in the synopsis you yes. know so really that came from joy so that that was uh, really nice mm-hmm. yeah before we move on my point on mary which will just open up the can of worms again is when danny asks how long does it last she says minutes, hours, days, weeks, and longer. Mm-hmm. So the potential is, I, I, I'm, I'm like you, I'm not quite sure who is who. Yeah. But the fact that she says, and longer, and she does mention weeks, I'm like, okay, so we, we, we're talking potentially up to half a year 
that she could be Walker or Mary in between. I want to know more. I constantly just, it's not just like, okay, she's got DID. This is, this character is going to be quite central. And this character is going to, as we learn each tidbit, I think we're going to just kind of fall slightly more in love with the character. Yeah, it is really interesting. This dissociative identity disorder. I've not read much about it, to be honest. I have, I don't know a lot about it myself. So I'm actually learning along with the TV show, to be fair. And um, we know it's a real life illness that she has. And very easily, this could be that Mary grew up, went to the army, and then the other side of this personality arrived. So when she says days, weeks, months, it could have been years. It could have been 20 years where she never had an incident of this. And then suddenly this other identity appeared completely formed inside her inside her and took yeah. and took control for yeah. a while exactly. and then went away. So absolutely, this is something that could happen for five minutes or it could be something that's she's in control for years and nothing ever happens to trigger it. Uh, you know, we find out that it's triggered by environmental things. So uh, in Black Ops, it could have been the, the stress of that or, or the night. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, I was actually a little thrown when Joy said DID just purely because there is DID electrical uh, in, in Ireland. Uh, ah, yes. And then I was like, oh, yeah, sorry, it's dissociative identity disorder. Yes. I was like, should buy a DVD player or something? <laughs> She's Blu-ray. She's a Blu-ray. Oh, absolutely. Oh, totally, totally. She doesn't have Parasity job, no. No. Or Walmart or uh, Pete's Electrical, depending on PC where you world, are in the yeah. world. <laughs> yes. So, gentlemen, moving on to point two. Mm-hmm. Let's chat about how Ward was left in the apartment to babysit Danny while he heals. Yes, Misty has made the decision that after after interviewing these two people, uh, Joy and Walker, that she's going to put everyone under house arrest rather than having a formal police arrest because that's the only way she feels that Davos will still be alive. If she sends the police in, they're going to kill him because he's going to fight back. If she lets Mary and Joy out, they're going to go and kill him because they're they're annoyed with him for the decisions he's made so um so we have this great moment of kind of the breakfast club of iron fist where everybody's living under the same roof trying to work the problem trying to work together danny still is trying to stand up and go out and fight the world when actually he's got two good partners in colleen and misty who are able to do this yeah and i think you know you get some classic wardisms here and um, i think <laughs> where you know they, they're talking about the crane sisters you know they performed this ritual and he goes it sounds like a shitty band name and then he has a chance now to talk to his sister to 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 really kind of get all this off his chest and hopefully they can move forward in one way uh, but all he's seeing is that you know he's babysitting for the criminally insane uh, so yeah it, it was nice and i like the fact that you know they told danny to sit and rest mm-hmm. now okay he only did it for 10 minutes rather than for the rest of the day but i i like the fact that misty and colleen go off then to to find uh the crane sisters yeah and there is that wonderful moment when Danny's trying to uh, heal himself in the room and we have the ward smacking all around the room as Danny's going, look, I need to focus. I need to meditate here. And having you going, oh, my God, isn't this awful? And smack every wall is not helping me achieve centering. You know, uh, you should meditate, Ward. You know, really nice, really nice moments with the two of them. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this part of it as well. I enjoyed how Ward quite easily slipped back into old Ward. Hmm. When he gets annoyed. So obviously stress is a factor for him. Yeah. But then what I enjoy more was Mary breaking out going, I'll take Danny to Davos. This is what we'll do. $500,000. Not a bad paycheck. Absolutely. On top of what she's getting from Joy to kill Davos. Yeah. Apparently. So yeah. Good negotiator, that lady. 
Yeah, she can do it. I got annoyed with Danny. Mm-hmm. Does he still heal fast now he no longer is the Iron Fist? Can he still use the Chi? That's the concern, yeah. In the comic books, he definitely does it. In Defenders, we saw him learn how to do it a little bit. Um, but I guess he didn't really have the opportunity to test whether he could or not. Um, but it does feel like since he's lost the power of the Iron Fist, he's also lost a lot of the powers that come along with specifically the those powers from Shaolau. Now, obviously, he is a trained martial artist and he does believe in the power of meditation to just heal himself a little bit faster but i'm not sure if it's connected with yeah. just the iron fist powers. I, I would think that he's been desupered basically yeah, yeah okay and that he's simply just got his you know x many years of kick-ass uh kung fu yeah. uh, training and he he's a meditator yeah. but i think certainly that he is vulnerable and yeah, he should have really just gone into another room. But have uh, is it only one bedroom? Like it's very open plan, uh, the dojo. But I think there's only that one bedroom. Uh, and that could have gone to the balcony. <laughs> but that's through the bedroom. Uh, and that's where Mary and, and Joy were. That's true. Fair point. Fair point. Okay. You know when your house is invaded by so many strangers and you just can't find a space of your own, you just need <laughs> a couple of minutes of quiet, and nobody will give you. That's kind of Danny's feeling at the moment, isn't it? I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but if, if my partner is listening, I'm sorry. I did not pay them to say that. Um, uh, no, for me, this was just, again, what we said, as I said, we saw Ward slip into old Ward. This, for me, was Danny slipping into old Danny in that he's gung-ho again. He's acting without thinking. Like, he is, he was on death's door, let's say, two hours ago, maybe four Max? Yeah, yeah, not long. No, not long at all. And now he he's going, oh, I'm going to help capture my brother because... Like, I'm like, pretty sure if she can track him now, she can track him in like five hours or six hours when you're a bit more rested. I think the because, though, is because Mary will kill him if I don't go with her, which is kind of important. If he wants to get his Iron Fist powers back, he does have to talk Davos off the ledge, doesn't he? He has to kind of calm him down and and get him to either agree or take him in without him being killed. And I think he suspects that Mary might be uh, going to kill him. I would have just gone, here, look, for another 100 grand at an hour. So <laughs> if I give you another 500 grand on top of the, the, the actual fee... Can we can we wait five hours? And this is why you're not a billionaire, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but the- overpaying for jobs. <laughs> but I, I think, as you say, Chris, he's he's gone into being sort of old uh, Ward Meacham here, uh, and I, I I wonder if that's down to the fact that you know all of a sudden he's kind of going. She, as in Joy, you know, made me think I was the crazy one. All of a sudden, everything he's been trying to do to maybe slip the old Ward Meacham uh, is almost maybe feels like a lie that he doesn't need to do it, that he's been feeling too sorry for himself Mm. and that really he feels he can now challenge Joy. And I think that's what was really great then about the fact that in the end, Ward doesn't end up babysitting Danny because he decides to head off with Murray Mm -hmm. um, to track Davos and, and to capture him. But instead you have this really nice... Well, not really nice for the two of them, but a great amount of dialogue here that just really brought this brother and sister's relationship to the fore. There was part of me kind of saying, I don't know if I can fully uh, accept that Joy just simply can't forgive him because I know 
he hid the presence of his father that he wasn't dead. But, I mean, ultimately, he was breaking his arms. He was breaking his legs. You know, he was talking about how, you know, remember that skiing accident? Remember that car accident? And I, I kind of wondered, is she really taking in what toll that had on him? And I thought it was just really interesting. But at the same time, I did like Joy's justification as to why she's mad. Yeah. And I think in particular at Danny, you really find out that the reason why she's gone after Danny to destroy him was because Ward will do that perfectly well himself. Yeah. Um, he will trip up and fall. Um, so she, she didn't. Uh, and then later on the balcony, you do kind of hear that, you know, the reason why she went after Danny was because she just didn't want to go after Ward because... He is family. There is yeah. still that connection. And I, I do like it. It's kind of like a distant idea that they might get back together um, where she says, I want to be in that position where I can forgive you and we can mend, mend fences, but I have to do it on my own time uh, independently and it's going to take time. The interesting thing about that, and I think this was just how up and down the conversation was which i suppose just reflects the emotions in this conversation was that when she kind of says to him goodbye she does finish it off with for good yeah and you're kind of like going, okay so is that the end despite what you've just said so i thought that was really interesting one part of this conversation that i really like from joy was where she goes you know danny rand walked in and lit everything up and he walks away a hero, and he can't do that. You know, he cannot be allowed to be the hero because, for me, he was not the hero of the piece because he destroyed everything. Yeah. So I thought that was fabulous. This is a tough one for me. I'm starting to understand where Joy is coming from. Oh, yeah. Not from a rational point of view, but from very much an emotional point of view. She explains quite a lot. Then... To see Ward's confession mm -hmm. about the reason, like I packed my bags, bought plane tickets and sat outside your front door in the car. Then I flipped back to being on his side. Then I was back on her side by her short sentence. But why didn't you? Yeah. It for me now is getting to a point where I'm hoping they do reconcile, but I'm also very much, I can see why they're not going to. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely so i i this is again another story that i'm like okay they you now have four episodes to decide what you're going to do they can't leave it like this very much if they leave it like this now then i'll be not upset but I, like it's, it just doesn't feel like a satisfying ending to me yeah certainly. or a conclusion to that kind of piece yeah but i also don't i don't want a deathbed confessional <laughs> from joy no definitely. so i'm like some point over the next four episodes, give me some resolution. And I think, yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really hoping that what we'll see over the next four episodes is what Joy was actually working on. What was it that she was going to change her career for? We thought it was very nefarious because at the time she was working with Davos and we've never actually found out what this thing she was going to put into production was. We thought it was involving Davos, but she says she's finished the plan with him. Their, their relationship is done now that he's got the Iron Fist. So obviously that was something else. So we'll see that hopefully coming up in the rest of the series. But I absolutely love this moment with 
Joy, where she looks at that ward, apologizing for everything, saying that the whole reason why he went to Narcotics Anonymous was not to cure himself of drug addiction, but was to get to a stage where he'd be able to apologize to her for everything he'd done to her. And she just throws that off and says, but that's still all about you. And I need my life to be about me and your life to be about you. And then we'll be able to come back together. And Ward goes, but I'm sorry. And she goes, you're doing it again. Like that moment where you have this complete breakdown of their relationship and Joey cannot get across to him that the whole reason is because she's been either in his shadow or cleaning up his messes for his entire life and she needs to step away. So I love that moment. If this is the last time we see the two of them on screen together, sharing a moment between the two of them, I'm actually okay with it as long as we see both of them in the series for the rest of the series. Yeah, no, I, I can deal with that too. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm kind of there when... Ward was saying, you know, blame the hand, blame Harold. I'm like going, yeah, Joy, please. Because, you know, this is like crazy. Harold obviously has told Ward not to say anything and is actively being physical uh, and threatening and bullying to him. Well, you've cut the conversation to suit your argument there because he says, blame the hand, blame Harold blame me and she goes i do blame you my father's dead and so in the hand are gone you're the only one left so of course i blame you for this so. <laughs> yeah i know but i i think that's easy for her to say like at the end of the day he wasn't doing it of, of his own free will even though she thinks that yeah. because ultimately if you're having to pretend that you're in a skiing accident uh or uh, a car accident because your own father was effectively breaking stuff and mm-hmm. um, i mean even where she's very unsympathetic about it, where he says you know i wanted to fly away take the money like yeah. he was going to do and she says but you didn't do that and yeah. it's like okay maybe part of his rationale was to protect it but you know look i think it's a really good complex it's a really good situation for these two siblings and i i just think it's so well done here well it's great because these kind of conversations and these kind of shows always come across as one-sided and there must be a point after 30 years of being in your sibling's pocket that you go actually hang on i don't care what he says because he's always apologized and he's always done stupid things over the years i don't care what he says i'm stepping away from this until i'm a better person in myself which is what joy's saying so i really like that idea that this is a proper two-way dialogue it's not him going i apologize and chair going i accept your apology i know you've been through a lot Let's just draw a line under it and it'll all be fine. There's other stuff that needs to happen between the two of them. And there's other stuff that she has to get out of the way before she will forgive him. Absolutely. It is most definitely elevated from a spelling production. Yes, it feels more realistic, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I think on to point number three. Yeah, it's more of a question, really, this point. It is. Is Davos being used by the eyepatch man? Uh, The guy who is taking him around for his bloody day job whilst, you know, he's meeting out uh, punchy justice and uh, a lot of bloodshed here on the the triad gangs. You know, is he wiping out the hatchets only, you know, so that the Golden Tigers are the premier triad in Chinatown? Or is he wiping out the hatchets and the rivals in the Golden Tigers for this eye patch man, this guy with the eye patch. Like, what's the the reason for this list? Who is this list? Is it targeted just at the hatchets? Because he is a Golden Tiger. 
we see him in the disco yeah. uh, when his his boss uh, effectively got splattered up against the the wall. Yeah, yeah. It does suck when we get to the sixth episode of the show and IMDb hasn't updated their page to tell us the names of characters, isn't it? Because we haven't heard this guy's name. We know he got the hairpin in his eye uh, by Mrs. Yang. And then the next episode, he stood up and said, I'll help you out. And I don't think he said his name to Davos. And then this whole episode, even though he's quite central to the episode, we don't hear his names. So hopefully by episode seven, IMDb will update it so we will have this guy's name. So apologies to iPatch Guy. We will find out your name for the next episode. Um, but yeah, no, I was wondering about this as well. This is kind of the question. But we know for definite from Mrs. Yang when she goes and sees the attack, we know for definite she says how many people have been killed on her side and also loads of people have been killed on the other side. My kind of question is, is the iPatch character trying to wipe out everybody in the city to get a higher position in the city? Is he yes. done with the triads and he's using the fists of... Davos. It, I don't know. It, it feels like he's uncomfortable, but once again on these shows, you just can't trust anybody. Um, he could absolutely just be stepping up. <laughs> Certainly he is absolutely taking the pain for his art uh, because I do like his occasional role of the eye um, or the sigh that he might do when Davos comes out with his thespian-like mm. uh toil and trouble yeah i think it's when davos turns up to um you know kill and a few of the triad gangs uh he's on his killing spree and, and the guy starts to give davos some details about what they did why he should be doing this and he goes that he doesn't care for details only that they contribute to the putrefaction of the city mm-hmm. <laughs> and the guy's just like okay uh, fine, right, I'll just wait here then, uh-huh. uh, you know, as he crosses off a, a load of names from the list, you know, at the end where he goes, I can get you something, um, you know, get you a hotel, have hot water, you can have room service and all that, and he's electricity. like... Electricity. <laughs> yeah, electricity, running water, and he, and Davos is like, no, I'm beginning to like my new home. Uh, it rem- in fact, it reminds me of my previous home, and the guy just sighs because it's like okay, I can't, I really can't uh, work with this. So he is struggling with for his art. Mm-hmm. You know, he really is hurting because of it. So I did really like the comedic value of this eyepatch man mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on this. I think he is very much systematically taking out everyone. One question mark I had, which was like, hmm, uh, the playing card Mrs. Yang pulls up. Mm-hmm. Did either of you think Bullseye for a second? Well, we had, yeah, it's the Ace of uh, ace of Spades that we see there um, that she picks yeah. up off the ground. I just know that the, the people that Davos killed were just playing cards, weren't they, when, when he yeah. went in. So it's it could be random. Usually yeah. not in these types of shows. <laughs> Usually exactly. it's a little placement in there. Um, possibly there is a reference in there. Because uh, we did see that back in season one of, uh, of Daredevil as well. That same, that same Sniper. Uh, playing card. But um, I'm not sure about that one. But yeah, I definitely thought about it. The blood-soaked playing card does feel very, uh, very bullseye. Yes. No, for me, it was very much... I was interested because I was like, oh, could... Bullseye be knocking a few pe- more people as well at the same time because you know there's a crazy guy going around <laughs> killing all the bad. It's the perfect way. Hide hide your own murders with other murders. Um, speaking of murders, Rhino's gang 
Maybe next. Yeah, that was really interesting when we see BB and uh, some of the other members of Rhino's gang standing outside waiting for Davos to finish off. I love that they're basically called vultures, that they go in after this kind of attack happens to just pick up what they can. If there's money lying around or food, they'll just go into a violent crime scene to pick up all this stuff, you know. Uh, what a horrible job to have uh, on the streets of, uh, of New York. But yeah, we see Davos kind of questioning who they are, finding out that they're kids that don't have any parents and live on the street. And then he kind of goes maybe I'll put them on the list later, but not right now kind of thing, you know? It feels like Davos has kind of subscribed to this idea that no matter whether you're a shoplifter or you steal someone's wallet or you're a murderer or a big drug dealer, that you're dead if he gets around to you, you know? He'll he'll get there someday. He's going to take out the big guys first and then he'll eventually get to you, you know? Yeah. I did think for a split second he was going to do some, I'll build, I'll train them. I'll make them understand the way of Kung Lung, right. like building a mini hand army right. kind of thing. That's where second where my head went. Yeah, me like too. Definitely. Pupils type of thing. I want to see where it all goes. I want to see BB. BB's going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see how Colleen helps save him. But gentlemen, who knows where BB will be in five years? But do you know what? Let's move on to point four because we find out where Missy and Colleen are going to be in five years. Mm. Does that question get answered? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. No, it doesn't. Afterwards, oh. I was like, I know they asked each other the question, but did they actually answer it? They kind of said, they kind of complimented each other in them both having abilities and being good workers and making conscious decisions, but neither of them actually answered the question, did they? It was kind of like... Well, yeah. go answer answer that you're going to be running an agency called Daughters of the Dragon <laughs> I, doing investigations together please yeah I definitely think deeds are, are speaking stronger than words here mm-hmm. uh, I think there is certainly a subtle indication from a big grin uh, that Colleen knows where she wants to be in five years and let me just say it might not be at the community centre. It might not be, no. Unless it gets robbed no. every day and she has to stop the robberies yeah. every day. But and, she, unless she there is yeah, unless there is a Colleen cave under the community centre. Right. I gentlemen, I'm gonna jump in right now and we can go to the end and then jump back to the beginning. This for me was one of the most satisfying choreographed fight scenes so far. And I'm including that above the uh the the challenge of the dragons or oh, right. uh, davos versus danny colleen against two i'm not even counting misty uh and the, the the arm i was just that that was a very satisfying it was so well done and we've talked about it before the new uh, fight choreographer mm-hmm. who's brought in for this season uh, and how he frames and uh, styles the fights and we know jessica henwick did 90% of her own stunts and fights in mm-hmm. this. So I was watching out for it. And yeah, like the the camera's on her and I was like, ah, oh, that's not good. No, that was her. Okay. That wasn't a stunt yeah. double. That was amazing. It's just fantastic. It's really weird, isn't it? Um, I watched this the first time and there was something wrong with about the first half of the fight for me when I watched it. Okay. And I don't know what it was the first time. I did work out the second time what it was. And it was just disconcerting because Colleen smiles the whole way through the fight. That The first time I saw it, it felt like Jessica Henwick was sparring against the two Crane sisters. It didn't feel like it was something that should have made it to the episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. But obviously, 
the purpose of that is to show that Colleen's going, this is where I belong. I belong right here fighting people like this and taking them out. So she's smiling her way through the whole thing. But the first time it just didn't penetrate my stupid head as to what it was meant to do. And I was going, yeah. why is she smiling the whole way through this? Normally Colleen's so fixated and focused on the fight that she doesn't have any time to sit back and smile away at the punches being thrown at her. But you see that she is completely satisfied. So that's totally on me. The first time I thought I saw the fight, I was going, this doesn't feel like normal fight. The second half of the fight, I think when the, one of the uh, Crane sisters takes up a tray and hits Colleen across the arm, and then we see lots of back and forth and lots of focused Colleen again, and then she beats them and smiles. Um, you know, that felt much more dynamic than the first half of the fight. But then the second time I watched her, I went, okay, now I know what it is. She's just getting herself yeah. loosened up and back into the fight. And then she's now our Colleen Wing, you know? Yeah. And she does it all in a heavy woolen jumper <laughs> no. with a neck on it. I was like, well done. <laughs> well done. It is cold out there. It's cold out there, Chris. That is not something that I noticed. But yeah, it, we kind of know it's cold because of the snow when they're in the car mm-hmm. hitting the, the, the windscreen. Two things of this. Loved this fight. So great. Uh, do you know, I loved Colleen's fighting. I loved the choreography of it and just the whole fight. I loved the little grin on her face. I was like, okay, that's where you're going to be in five years' time. Mm-hmm. You're going to be kicking ass, um, fighting crime, protecting Chinatown. Probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, let's rub the rabbit's foot, um, that it's with Misty Knight mm-hmm. uh, as well amazing but i just love the simplicity of the clothesline uh, from misty uh, <laughs> uh with one of the crane sisters trying to get rid of these tabori needles uh it was just so so good and then just when misty comes back in and she goes let's try this again you know because she's tried to reason with them and of course out come the knives, out come the trays, and out come the needles. So really, really cool. But I think the lead up to this as well, you get another fantastic moment with these two ladies uh, talking about, uh, obviously, where are you going to be in five years? But I love the fact that, you know, something like that, which is seeding something potentially really important for these two characters in either this series, future series of Iron Fist, or dare I say it, maybe their own series, is layered with a fantastic bit of um, humor uh, with regards to the types of snacks that Colleen has gotten from the the gas station. Um, Colleen, well, we need to go to a gas station that's got a better selection. Uh, Misty, you know, taking on the... um, New York police officer and the question of how many donuts is enough here for a police officer to have when mm-hmm. he's sat in a car. Don't think she is in favor of donuts. She prefers something with a, a longer energy release. But nonetheless, I loved it. And of course, next time, Colleen, she wants habanero. Absolutely. That's what she asked for. That's what she wants to get. Yeah, I really like this kind of relationship between the two of them. Really good fun. And once again, Chris... That question is thrown there from from Colleen going, so you're going to take the captaincy job? Am I going to have to call you Captain Misty? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we get an actual origin story for the Steel Serpent that makes sense, the actual name for him. The Crane sisters say that they tattooed a serpent on Davos and he insisted that they used their steel needles to do it. So obviously you're going to put those two things together and go, he's the Steel Serpent. So we have a proper name for him and, and where it came from, effectively. Yeah, Absolutely. 
And in our notes, the illustrious John and I will give a quick rundown of the history of Davos from the comics in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so along with learning the name of the Steel Serpent, they also learned the ritual of how to get Iron Fist back uh, to being Iron Fist, possibly, or at least how Davos did the ritual on Iron Fist. Um, I love Misty's reaction to this scene and this discussion with the Crane sisters, this moment of kind of looking at them going, you actually did this job? This idea of like following a ritual for this guy to steal power from somebody else from this mystical place of Kunlun, and you know that the bowl was, is all important and there's all of these things that you could have done. You could have just walked away, girls. Why did you even get involved with this crazy stuff? You know, uh, you just have this incredulous nature of Misty. You know, we're seeing with obviously the fact that Colleen lives with Danny and obviously Danny has come from Kunlun and Davos has been to Kunlun. We see that Colleen accepts a lot of this stuff at face value. But I love Misty, the real world reaction to uh, to this mysticism and weirdness that's going on around her. It's always good to watch. It's good to see that the Crane sisters aren't the evil, evil women that we assume they are. No, they're out for a book. So they they reluctantly agree that they'll reverse the process as best they can. But I want to see what that ritual looks like. Yeah, love that the Crane sisters ultimately end up being fairly neutral in all of this. I mean, they're still pretty good fighters, certainly. But I, I like the fact that they really were given the instructions on how to perform this ritual uh, and I think quite precise instructions by Davos. I think probably from this, they may actually struggle to find that um, ancient ritual bowl rather than probably Davos <laughs> and also the Tabori needles as well. So they have them already. And yeah. um, so it's, it's kind of interesting um, to see if or how they will perform this again. I, I wonder if it will be that they do this performance I'm kind of wondering, will Davos just come in and kill them, maybe? maybe. maybe. Uh, and that there's a transference another way. And there is part of me that I'm hoping that that's the case, uh, to be honest. Because there is elements that allow the transference without this ritual. Right, of course. Yeah, there, there must be. There must be some ways uh, to do it. But it just does put paid to our theory that we had earlier on in the season that these are the daughters of the Crane. Yes. I was wondering if this had been a 13-episode season, would we have seen that expansion and would we have seen them talk about, you know, another city of heaven, you know, one of the other seven cities of heaven where Crane Mother's from and have these sisters of the Crane be connected to her and come from her her realm and that's why they knew how to do this. I wonder if just having that bit more time uh, on the show would have allowed them to explore that. So by not having that... And only four episodes left in the season. Well, you kind of go, well, okay, we'll actually say that these guys are tattoo artists and that's all they are. They have no involvement in it. They don't really know about the mysticism. They just followed every step that uh, that Davos wanted them to do because he paid them a lot of money and that's kind of it. So it's, it's a way around it, I suppose. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you. I, I think it is a purely pacing time issue in this this account because – that, although that being said, I know the detractors will say they probably know because we got Daughter of the Spider um, in the first season. Mm-hmm. There was no explanation really of her. We just saw her there. Yeah, but we know that she was that character from the comic books is what I mean. I mean, in this case, it feels like they've lent into an idea of calling these ladies the Crane sisters, not the daughters of the Crane, because if you do that, you actually have to trace them back to Crane Mother and tell about the realms and fill in things about the world building of Iron Fist that you can't do if you only have a 10-episode season. Do you know what I mean? 
Yes. See what you mean there. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. Yeah. Yes. So on to our fifth and final point. Uh, Mary is triggered. Yes. Mm -hmm. We move from Walker to Mary. Team Danny and and, uh, Walker head off to go and catch Davos. I like the idea that, you know, she wants to move to Arizona, this cabin in the woods. Um, something that is is promised by by Danny, uh, and you know Danny to begin with is like saying you know you stay your distance in the dojo when she comes out of the bedroom. He's very wary of her, and it's not to say that he isn't by the end of it, but he is trying to get her on side. He's making this counter offer to to Joy because they do need Davos alive, or they think that they do. It's just really good these two characters being together and as i said at the start you know you're not quite sure if walker is the good or bad person or mary is or maybe if there's something else entirely that um affects this character of of mary walker is she good is she bad where is she on her spectrum at the moment and it just makes it even more unsettling as to uh danny going along with her, certainly in the state that he is, because, you know, he is still injured. He has effectively been depowered, so he is really vulnerable here. And, I mean, as I said in my synopsis of the last one, you know, he was beaten, bloodied, and broken. And, in fact, we get the break here. You know, he's been bled out by the stomach, he has been battered up by the rhino gang, and now he gets his leg broken by Davos when Walker and him finally get to his hideout and he comes back from his day out on the town killing a lot of people. It's a great moment and you have an unexpected twist for Walker as well. You know, she's been brought along. You have this really good moment in her apartment where uh, she says how she's spent a long time figuring out how to defeat and control the Iron Fist with Danny Rand. And she does the same thing to Davos. And then he whips out another Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Double Iron Fist. Gosh, he got a lot of power out of out of Danny. Uh, once again, we're kind of treated to this idea that Davos had much more training and much more power than Danny did when he gets the Iron Fist. You know, at the end of season one, Danny made the statement to Colleen that he was going back to Kunlun because there was a lot more training he had to do. And he still doesn't have that training. He's like Luke Skywalker running off on his quest during empire strikes back without getting his training as a jedi you know uh, that's kind of where we had danny in in season one of iron fist he's had a little bit more training uh, at this stage he's focused a lot he's obviously trained with colleen as well but he hasn't had the training that davos has had so you kind of get the feeling if danny did work with davos would he learn some of these moves would he learn some of the techniques that he doesn't know about how does he get the power of two iron fists at the same time um you know we do have that confrontation between the two of them when danny does stand in front of davos trying to talk him down and we see the real hatred that davos has for his father now we've seen the love he had for his mother but couldn't speak in the last uh, in the last episode this time we hear him talking about his father saying that he lied to danny and put him on this path that he should never have been on this should have been davos's only path he should have been the master and he should have been the person that was going up to fight Xiao Lao, he's still hugely bitter about that, obviously. But he's effectively saying to Danny, we were never really brothers in that sense because you took my father and I took my mother. And my mother sent me down this path and my father sent you down that path. And that's not the way it should have worked. We should have been working together the whole time. I love 
the Immortal Iron Fists. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even though I can say he's one, he is the Immortal Iron Fist, but he's actually one man. That was a nice surprise. My comic book head is telling me he is channeling more of Shao Lao. Um, and so therefore more rage, more fury, more power, mm-hmm. um, but with less control. That being said, he has enough control on it that he breaks down his leg, but doesn't shatter it. Yeah, yeah. But he brings his fist down with enough control that he breaks the bone and doesn't shatter it or pulverize the bone into dust. Mm-hmm. So it really, what we end up seeing is he is more powered than Danny, but he relinquishes control to the rage a lot more often. I loved his just craziness is probably his zealousness to the ideal of being a being the immortal lion fist and destroying all evil in no matter what form yeah but and it's just when you listen to him it the character and this comes down to the actor he does believe what he's saying he believes what he's doing is right and the way he's doing it right. Yeah. He doesn't hear the contradiction. And I love that Danny calls that out. It's like, do you not understand how weird that sounds? Yeah. And I'm just like crazy. So just very great scene. Loved the quick fight bit. The part I loved about Mary's transformation was when she's outside and the, the ambulance is taking off. She starts talking to herself in the window yes. of the car. So what we're seeing is not just the DID. So I am hoping we get Mary versus Walker, one standing in the mirror. So what we'll get is that kind of cut to scene, maybe in the next episode where we see one and you're not sure which one is the mirror reflection talking, which one's the real one. Yeah. I I think that'd be quite fun. Like Gollum and Smeagol in uh, in Lord of the Rings or Enigma and Riddler in Gotham that we've been uh, watching for the last couple of years. That's a a tool they use quite a lot when you see one character talking to the other. Uh, It's kind of a mirror situation. Yeah, that, that would be quite interesting. I'm really intrigued by this idea that Walker wants to get a cabin in the woods, a place where she has no triggers around at all, so she may never see Mary again. If that happens, if she has a place where there are no triggers around at all to spur on Mary, then, hey, perhaps that will be a situation where it will go years without ever seeing that side of of that personality. Because the reaction of Mary when she comes back out at the ambulance siren, obviously it's stress-related that pulls Mary out of the... Uh, out of the mind of um, of Walker, the stress that that hearing the sirens did for her. There's a couple of triggers that Walker mentions early on in the episode that do trigger Mary to come out. So potentially it's the it's the ambulance that's causing them. But when she does come back out, she instantly goes, "That's it. Um, we're not going anywhere near that cabin in the woods that she wants us to move to, um, because that means I'm gone." So that's when she runs off. Yeah, no, I, I think it was literally the flashing lights, the running water, right. uh, and the, the loud noises. Mm-hmm. She kind of yeah. names all three. And when you put an ambulance beside rain mm-hmm. in a warehouse, I'm like, you've got everything. Yeah, I, and it was thunder as well. So yeah. it was like, yeah. And probably then this stressful situation. Mm-hmm. Also, fair dues to Walker. She's now taken down two Iron Fists in this season. <laughs> you know, she used a similar tactic. Yeah, okay, she did get punched for it, and she did have a second Iron Fist light up, but she still did get Davos out. He's knocked out inside the warehouse at the end of this episode. 
on pretty much what she did because Danny didn't have the power really to to fight against Davos. He's knocked out and has the or he's knocked down and then has his leg broken by by Davos. But it is Mary that gets him and knocks him out unconscious on the floor. And then they just leave him behind because Danny's dragged off to the hospital and Mary's gone running away so that Walker doesn't catch up with her, even though they're in the same mine. <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually nice to be back with Mary because for the last, what, two episodes, really, we've just seen Walker. I, mm. I really like this change. and I mean, it was a bit of a, a series of unfortunate events, really, to, to happen in that you got the rain, you got the ambulance, and you got the change from Walker to Mary at that crucial moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I liked how how Danny played it. I, I liked how Finn Jones, the exasperation, the the, the real terror, uh, because he knows that she's suddenly changed. Davos is still, okay, sedated on the floor, but it's all going sideways for him at that moment. Uh, and he's panicking and he, he's, he's frustrated. And I loved how Finn Jones played that. And I really loved how Alice Eve, you know, runs away as Mary and then sort of reflects on herself in the the polished surface of, of the car uh, that's parked outside. I think that's really fantastic, but it, it certainly is uh, that unfortunate series of events that caused this trigger moment at a crucial time yeah. for Danny in getting Davos. So yeah, really, really good. I think before we round up, yeah, um, just one other aspect of this as well is that, you know, the Iron Fist can have dual Iron Fists um, as well. Yes. Um, this isn't maybe something that is... Uh, specific to to Davos either, or or to his version of the Steel Serpent, or the Iron Fist as he is seeing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's it's normally uh, certainly for the Iron Fist, it's very much driven by rage. So yeah, absolutely with with Davos, it, it's most likely to be the same. Although whilst he was angry with uh, with Danny Boy, you know, he does say you cross the line, Danny. He doesn't seem very ragey um, in that moment. He's certainly fighting, and he has that really unhealthy, unnatural level of keeping himself calm in a given situation. You know, he's just murdered a ton of people, but then he switches it around to say that, you know, you should be vegetarian and, and killing meat <laughs> for food. Um, why on earth do you do that yeah. to the, the, the one-eyed man? You know, the double iron fist is a thing. It's certainly very much about rage for Danny Rand, generally. Um, or in those moments where he's backed up, he will power up both fists yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm thinking here of Iron Fist, The Living Weapon by mm-hmm. Andrews, the, the two volumes uh, of that collected series. In fact, one of them is called Rage, in fact, um, yeah. where he utilizes um, the absolute extreme or extremity of the chi to the point where i think you just see his skeleton lighting up it's just to say that the double fist can happen yeah yeah no definitely seen that in in some of the comic books and some of the comic book covers in the past i always just took it that it was channeling the chi into both fists at the same time that's that's what i thought i never thought there was something particularly connected to rage that's really interesting to know yeah um and perhaps this is something that danny now, after seeing that it is available, perhaps it is something that he can train himself to do, or if he does make friends with Davos in the future, uh, perhaps they can uh, go through a little trading session where Davos helps him out. I do want to call out the fact that Davos has that moment with Danny where he does the nice backhanded compliment to him, where he says to him, well, your father led you down that path, and we should work together, da- Danny, obviously with me in the lead. 
because I have the power of the Iron Fist. <laughs> it's, it's kind of this moment where he's gone, I, you'll, you'll never get any of this back, but you can train under me if that's what you want. You are really still a student after all, you know. Um, really nice backhand compliment from Davos. Slight kick in the teeth. Exactly, exactly. Guys, I know you guys want to talk about uh, talk a bit about Davos uh, in our notes section, which since we're finished our top five points, uh, let's get on to that. Yeah, perfect. So let's jump into very quickly the history of the Steel Serpent. Um, so... The very first incarnation of the Steel Serpent was in 1975 on the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. He was not named Davos. He he went unnamed. He was in that. It was uh, wasn't actually until Iron Fist issue one in 1975, uh, much later that year, that he was named as Davos the Steel Serpent. Well, just because comic books and retconning, he's had a multitude of origins yeah uh being anything he's always uh he is always uh lee kung the thunderer's son right but just depending on the issue and the run and kind of who writing it he is either wendell Rand's friend right and then 20 years later when danny takes on the power of iron fist he goes after danny so he's danny's senior by 20 plus years in recent times he's been danny's friend as well, when Danny was there, yeah, uh, still the son of the Thunderer. So that part hasn't changed. There's a multitude of new kind of arcs where he's gained a few different pieces. He he like especially in the Immortal Iron Fist series, he's central to that. But he's gone on to get stingers like a serpent, like a fangs, right. but obviously on his hands. And then in a later one, he actually loses his hands, but gets a different power where he can channel his chi into a replacement hand we're not going to see that and i think that the the core differences is they're taking the later biography and origin of davos he is brothers to uh danny not wendell he's not been he's not his senior right very much they grew up together so this is going to be where they kind of go with things. The kind of big bit we wanted to just jump into is the differences in power. John, did you want to just kind of explain in the comic books what Davos's power set is? Davos is, um, you know, he, he's a master of the martial arts as, as well. He's a native of Kunlun. Ultimately, you know, he has the ability to wield the the power of the Iron Fist, but also in the same way that Davos here in in the show to to drain the power of the Iron Fist, uh, the Chi, um, and this is done in a slightly different way. Um, it, it's that he presses his steel serpent tattoo against the dragon tattoo of uh, the wielder of of the Iron Fist mm-hmm. uh, and the power of Shao Lao. So yes, that that could make for interesting television, and obviously. Big difference is that the Crane Sisters inscribed the Steel Serpent tattoo on Davos's back. Mm-hmm. In, in the comics, um, it's on his front normally. Just like yeah. And yeah. again, yeah, the Fraction Brewbacker run, the Immortal Iron Fist, is very notable for you know updating uh, the character here. He was resurrected by the Crane Mother to, after being killed. Uh, so. You know, it's it's a nice link in with the Crane Sisters that there is that connection, and I kind of wonder 
okay, the Crane Sisters may have started off as simple tattooists who were willing to use ancient needles and so on, but possibly there could be some room for development there. Not Mm. necessarily in this, but maybe the hint that they become something else, uh, but certainly has a link to the Crane Mother and and, and was in fact uh, resurrected. Derek likes the fact that he was allied to Hydra, you know, Shield Hydra, Mm -hmm. uh, within that same book. So, and I think from season one, we wondered whether Hydra might pop up at one point. I think we were kind of speculating (laughs) that 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 could happen. So, you know, he is a really important antagonist for for the iron fist um and i like the fact that they're probably at this moment where he has said to danny you've crossed the line that they're probably going to make them pure antagonists i think up to that point you know davos however selfish would have seen himself as danny's brother and wanted danny to work with him to see his vision um and, and help him to, to, to get that. I think, what, what does he says? You know, I am a paragon of virtue with a righteous cause, um, to which Danny Rand almost chokes on his cronuts, uh, <laughs> I think, at that one. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a great character to have uh, in the series of Iron Fist, and he is a, a good, good villain and antagonist within the comics as well. So definitely, uh, if you want to find out more about Davos, uh, get yourself into those uh, comic books that Chris has uh, suggested, definitely. Yeah, yeah, pretty much any of the runs from back in the 70s, it sounds like. Excellent. Thanks very much for that, guys. That's really cool. Let's uh, crack on and close out the show. Chris, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Yep, I do. Uh, This has been a yes for every episode so far this season. Mm -hmm. Um, Still really enjoying. We got that fantastic Colleen fight, which I am now ranking in my top three. Mm. liking how we ended the overall episode wanted to do the usual netflix was like oh my god 25 seconds to play the next episode 10 seconds and stopping at like four before it starts auto playing just teasing myself before we record it's just well done i like where they go and i'm really sad that we only have four episodes left to uh, review this season. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, on a more positive note, yes, I do defend this. Derek, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? I absolutely defend this episode. This was excellent. What a great way to finish these six, the six episode arc that we got in our preview. So, uh, yeah, really excited to crack on and see the rest of the season now. It does feel like we're getting to the end of this far quicker than we ever have, just purely because this this tenth episode looming, uh, knowing that that could be the end of Danny Rand on uh, on Netflix for two years because there could be a gap of two years before we see him back. So, I want to savor these episodes. I want to really enjoy these episodes. And I'm so glad we podcast about an episode like this and this show because it does kind of allow us to really delve deep into the character and talk about him much more and makes him last a bit longer for us than uh, than he may for some people who've probably already finished the full season of uh, of Iron Fist right now. But yeah, very happy with this episode. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to episode seven. John, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Season two, episode six, The Dragon Dies at Dawn. Yes, I do defend The Dragon Dies at Dawn. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, for me, I give this uh, five hot habaneros out of five. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I loved the fights. Uh, really, really cool. You know, we had it with 
Danny, Murray, and Davos. And we had it with Misty, Colleen versus the Crane Sisters. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. I think we had a fine moment uh, of Colleen and Misty uh, in the car heading on over to the tattoo parlor. Um, But I think the great thing about this is that we really got some properly deep um, characterization here with Joy and Ward. I love that. It, It felt so poignant. You know, you find yourself shifting between who you think is in the right and um, the same with Murray Walker. She is shifting literally in her identity here. And it's like, which one do you believe? Which one do you trust? And who should Danny trust? Really, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as, you know, maybe the, the crossing of the line of Danny here in the eyes of Davos. And we really see him embrace uh, the steel serpent. Uh, so for me... Just um, a really fantastic balance of these, you know, action and characterization. Great work. Um, Absolutely uh, loved it. So, yes, I do defend this episode of The Iron Fist. Excellent, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. If you have any thoughts about the episode, just send them into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com by email or join us over on our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. I'm sure you're all out there enjoying the episodes at the moment uh, as we record, um, but please send us your thoughts on any of the future episodes coming up. Our next podcast will be out really soon. It's for Iron Fist episode 207, Morning of the Mindstorm. Looking forward to that one. It's going to be good. It certainly is. Cannot wait for the next episode of Iron Fist. Some breaking news, Defenders. It looks like we have confirmation that there will not be a Defenders Season 2. They have kind of been mentioning it in various interviews. A lot of the cast have been saying it's been way too difficult to get them all together to do these shows. But it looks like Netflix have closed off their Facebook account for The Defenders on Netflix. The first time they've done that. Um, Every other show that they have has their own presence on Facebook, including The Defenders up until this week, which they've now renamed as NX, which is Netflix Action and covers all of their shows, things like uh, Stranger Things and all of the Marvel Netflix shows, anything with any kind of explosion in it seems to be on this this Facebook page. But it does feel like they're closing down the Defenders and confirming we're not getting a Defenders Season 2. It kind of does. It's it's a shame that the world uh, works in mysterious ways, really, in that this might be some strange, subtle confirmation that, yeah, the Defenders won't be coming back for Season 2. Um, so, yeah, it, it's tinged with a little sadness that that's the case, but maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe um, they will just simply add the Defenders onto this new action Netflix, um, as they've done with others. Maybe it's just a reorganisation. So uh, let's hope and let's see. But, yes, it seems as though it's the final nail in the possibility of a Defenders Season 2. Mm-hmm. But obviously all the other individual series for Marvel Netflix seem to be in good health. Yeah, yeah. We also think this probably means we're going to get something like a Heroes for Hire with all of the cast in there, um, but just in a smaller role for characters that aren't members of the Heroes for Hire, like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, potentially. Yeah, so we'll wait and see. But there was the talk of Strange in our discussion of Defenders there, and... Just so that you're aware, fellow Defenders, we are in the middle of Iron Fist Season 2, but we are also covering Doctor Strange by Mark Wade, the Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. And his next issue is out on the 19th of September. So we will be covering Doctor Strange issue number 5 
as we do Iron Fist Season 2. So there will be an extra dollop of Defenders TV podcast uh, being broadcast uh, and put up on the podcast catcher. So watch out for that. If you don't follow the comics, why not jump on in and see if it's something that tickles your fancy. Uh, But we will be doing comics... Marvel, Netflix, and especially all things Doctor Strange as well as Iron Fist. So we can't wait to get back into the Mark Waid run of comics with Doctor Strange in space. So if you want to check out our previous coverage of the Mark Waid run, then please head on into our back catalogue for all things Doctor Strange. Yeah, looking forward to getting back to some comics. And of course, we are now up to date with the series run as well. So yeah, Mm -hmm. good news to all those comic readers as well. Yeah. Yes, so thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you next episode. As always, fellow Defenders, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. We are all going to try and be paragons of virtue, and when we fail miserably, we will be back to speak with you again next time. Bye.